Father, would you send your spirit right now that the words of my mouth and the thoughts and meditations of each one of our hearts would be holy and pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, friends, about 1,800 years ago, um, yeah, probably right about then, a brother of ours, this African bishop, uh, Cyprian of Carthage, who I'm sure you're all familiar with, uh, was reflecting on the way Jesus taught us to pray. So he was actually studying and teaching on the very passage of Scripture that we're still teaching on and talking about today, these ancient truths which uh, have life for us today because of Jesus. And I want you to listen to this excerpt uh, from his treatise on the Lord's Prayer. Okay, this is something that was being taught 1,800 years ago by our brother Cyprian of Carthage. He says, We ask that the kingdom of God may come to us, even as we also ask that his name be sanctified in us. But when was it ever the case that God did not reign? Or when did that kingdom begin with him who both always has been and never ceases to be? That's the question he's asking, or questions he's asking, and here's his answer. We are here praying that our kingdom, which has been promised to us by God, may come that very kingdom acquired by the blood and passion of Christ. We pray that we, who are now his subjects in the world, may hereafter reign with Christ when he reigns. For this, he himself promises when he says, Come, you blessed of my Father, and receive the kingdom that has been prepared for you before the foundations of the world. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There is nothing Jesus talks about more than the kingdom of God. It's a good trivia answer for you to know. There is nothing Jesus talks about more than his kingdom. The Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapters 5 through 7, that's what that is referring to, the Sermon on the Mount, is about the kingdom of God. Jesus' parables, he begins sort of this whole season where he seems to just be teaching in parables for quite a while. His parables are about the kingdom of God. All that he is doing, what is happening in and through his work in the world, what will happen at the end of time is about the king and his kingdom and everything else in light of that. Your kingdom come, your will be done. These words are epic words. The sheer scope and impact of the kingdom and will of God are too much for us to fathom. And yet, they are precisely what we are to imagine and precisely what we are to ask for. When we pray for God's kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven, it is a hope for what is one day going to happen when heaven comes to earth. You see, Jesus doesn't here teach us to pray that God would pluck us out of the world and into heaven. Rather, we're praying for heaven to come to us. It's not simply a prayer about me personally being rescued. It's a prayer about the entire world being rescued by God. And its rescue, apparently, is not in it going somewhere else, but in God's kingdom coming to earth. Praying for God's kingdom to come is a protest about the way things are. We are asking God to make things how they ought to be. We are those... If you are a disciple of Jesus, 
and you pray this way and live this way, we are those who are restless with any kingdom that is set up as a rival to God. Maybe you've never thought about it that way, about kingdoms and wills as being rivals to God, okay? But in the kingdom of Jesus, the poor are blessed. Does it seem like that's true in the kingdoms of this world? How many of you are okay in your poverty? Like, you're super cool because it's, you're blessed there. In our family systems and in our culture and our friend groups. And not just materially poor, although for sure that. Spiritually poor, emotionally poor, relationally poor, mentally poor, physically poor. In Jesus' kingdom, the poor are blessed. In the kingdom of Jesus, those who mourn are comforted. In the kingdom of Jesus, the meek inherit the earth. In the, kingdom of, in the kingdom of Jesus, there is blessing for peacemakers, not just for those who win battles. In the kingdom of Jesus, there is blessing for those who are pure in their heart. Not so with the rival kingdoms, kingdoms which do not consider the poor, kingdoms which are not for the pure in heart, kingdoms where those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are never satisfied. When Jesus teaches us to pray that his kingdom will come and his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven, he is teaching us to pray that no other kingdom stands but his. Not the rival kingdoms of this world, nor the rival kingdoms in our hearts. We see this on display even in the mouth of Jesus in his greatest hour of suffering. As he is there on his knees In Luke's gospel, we're told he's so anxious, our Lord Jesus was so anxious that he sweat blood because of what he was being called to do, because of the kingdom and will of his Father. And he said, out of his mouth, his disciples heard, not my will, but your will be done. Wherever there is a resistance to God's kingdom and will, this prayer comes against that. Father, I desire things which are not good, not my will, but your will be done. I don't want to love my enemies and pray for those who persecute me, not my will, but your will be done. I don't want to wait on you for daily bread. I want to work for it and secure it and store it so that I don't have to be dependent anymore. Not my will, but your will be done. This prayer is a confession that we need God's kingdom more than we need the kingdoms of this world. It is a confession that we will wait for the kingdom promised to us in Jesus rather than impatiently settle or give ourselves to any other kingdoms in this world. But friends, how will we pray this way unless we have some good reason to believe that God's kingdom and His will are actually good? In order to trust that, We need to taste and see that the Lord is good. We need to gaze upon Him, to see Him alive, to see Him at work in His people. Watch how His wisdom unfolds goodness in our lives. Experience the ways in which He liberates us from sin and pours out His Spirit into us as we take on new life in Him. When we see this, when we experience this, when we begin to know that His yoke is easy and His burden is light, and see how much better his kingdom is than all the kingdoms of the world, when we begin to see Christ alive in each other, 
And that here in this kingdom, mercy triumphs over judgment when we actually experience some of that, we can begin to be motivated to pray for more of it, to see it break forth in our lives and into this world. It's interesting that before we even come to asking for our daily bread, which comes next in the prayer, before we even ask for that, Jesus teaches us to pray that his kingdom come and his will would be done. And perhaps it's because if this reprioritizing doesn't happen, I am likely to use daily bread to build some other kingdom or satisfy some other will. And so we confess in this prayer that our names and our kingdoms and our wills are not enough to secure the redemption of all things, but the kingdom of Jesus is more than enough. And His will done is altogether better than any other will done on this earth. Our goodness is bound up in His goodness. Our glory is bound up in His glory. Our lives are secure in His life. Friends, in the kingdom of Jesus, there will be no more sorrow. There will be no more pain. And every tear will be wiped from every eye. What kingdom promises that? What king promises that? In the land of a million false promises, who promises that? There will no longer be any death when Jesus' kingdom has come to earth in its fullness. And we who pray for that kingdom will not settle for anything less. While there are still people dying Come, Lord Jesus. And if that's the kingdom, if that's the kingdom which has come among us in the person of Jesus Christ, if that's the kingdom that we are looking forward to at the end of time and which we will enjoy forever. Now listen, this is not, this is not fundamentally tonight a teaching about what Jesus has shown us in his kingdom. This is a teaching about why Jesus has asked us to pray and taught us to pray this way. But it's occurring to me right now that some of you may have just never even heard much about the kingdom of God. Maybe you're not a Christian. Maybe you've grown up in church and we've talked about other things other than the thing Jesus talks about the most, which is his kingdom. And I'm not trying to slight anything else. You are at an age where your brain is expanding in new ways and you are able to think about things in new ways. And brothers and sisters, I would encourage you to learn about Christ, our King, and His kingdom and the promises that He has in store because some of us really struggle to say yes to Jesus and His kingdom and His will because all we think about is that all this is is some escape from the world and sitting on clouds with harps or something, which is not uh, the biblical promise for what's coming. And if that's news to you and a surprise to you, I apologize that this whole sermon is not about that. I commend to you uh, maybe sermons on the heaven uh, or the new earth on our podcast series, maybe. I don't know, you can listen to that or just come meet with one of us on staff. We'd love to talk to you about it. That'd be fantastic. But the kingdom that Jesus is promising is a kingdom where no, there's no more tears, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more death. None of it. And if that's the kingdom we're looking forward to the end of the time, and that's the kingdom that we're going to enjoy forever, that's the kingdom promised to us by the Father. That's the kingdom that Jesus says it is God's good pleasure to give to us. Then when we pray for God's kingdom to come and his will to be done on earth, we pray also that we look like citizens of that kingdom now. 
Because there is a way that God's kingdom has already come to this earth in the person of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And there's a way that God's kingdom has come through His people, empowered by His Spirit. There's a way that God's will has been done perfectly in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And there's a way that His will is done, though imperfectly, in and through His people. When we pray as Jesus teaches us to pray, we are praying for the end to come and we are praying that it starts now in our very lives. It is important that we get both pieces of this, friends. If you didn't see both pieces, I'm going to detail it. Because if we believe that this prayer is just about our hearts and our own personal salvation, what about the rest of the world? What about your neighbor? What about the poor? What about those who mourn, those who weep, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. If it's just about me getting out of here. But it would also be problematic to pray for the whole of the cosmos, for justice and mercy and peace and redemption in the whole world, but to somehow think this has nothing to do with the way we live today. How wild would it be for me to make the claim in my prayer life God, I want your kingdom to come and your will to be done at the end of time. But until then, it's my kingdom and my will. You see, what happens is this prayer not only reorients our priorities and positions us under the sovereign kingdom and will of God, this prayer summons our imaginations into the heavens, keeping our eyes fixed where our Lord Jesus is above. It summons our attention to the will of God and we pray that what we have promised to us there comes to us here. This is one of the reasons why it's so important for us to spend time hearing and remembering what Jesus has said and done. It's one of the many reasons why it's important for us to gather around the reading and preaching of God's word, what we call the scriptures or the Bible. So that when we pray for God's kingdom to come and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, our imaginations and our experience are informed by Jesus. So that our vision of hope and goodness and beauty and truth are shaped by him and his kingdom. And not by a bunch of false promises or trauma or disappointments or something else. Which we will encounter in this world until his kingdom comes in its fullness again. Until then, we need to come back over and over and over again to Jesus and say, Lord Jesus, would you reframe and reteach me, teach me new in new ways, what I can understand now that I couldn't have a month ago, a year ago, 10 years ago, what you are like and what your kingdom is like and how I can live like a citizen of your kingdom today. This one prayer Jesus taught his disciples to pray has shaped and informed so much of how I live. Okay, watch this. When I imagine God's kingdom and his will being done in heaven, when I cast my imagination into the promises of Jesus, if I begin to believe for just a minute that things will one day look like he has promised them to look and that the resources he's holding for me are kept safe and I cannot lose them and that I will one day reign with him in glory even after death so long as I share with him in the sufferings in this life now. If I hold fast to those promises and my imagination goes there for just a minute, Let's take the topic of friendship, where I'm, I'm, I'm invited to imagine, okay, what will my friendships look like when there is no more insecurity? What will my friendships look like when there's no more envy, when there's no more ego? 
I imagine what friendships will look like when I'm, when I'm totally secure and I'm no longer worried about being hurt or unsatisfied. That's what it's going to be like one day because of Jesus. And, and in that place, in that world, when, that, when God's will is being done perfectly in this world, how then will I talk to my friends? How will I think about them? How will I choose to spend time with them? If I was totally satisfied and full of love and never worried about death, how would I treat my friends? You see, that's what happens. My imagination goes to that. This is what I'm doing. I'm imagining God's kingdom coming in that particular arena. What's it like when His will is done? And when my imagination gets populated by the promises of our Lord Jesus. And it, they come to bear on this topic in my life that matters and in your life that matters. There are so few things that matter more than who you surround yourself with as friends. When my imagination is full of what Jesus has shown and promised in that, then there's this invitation for me to participate in living like that now, even while I wait. That is actually how I'm supposed to wait why don't I think about and talk about and treat my friends like I'm going to think about and talk about and treat my friends for eternity in the kingdom of God? And then play this out in every single area of your life. Money, our bodies, romance, work, how you spend your time. So we pray for God's kingdom to come and His will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And as we pray for that, our imaginations rise to the level of heaven and we ask God to teach us and train us how to live as citizens of His kingdom right now. Even as we walk around, the Apostle Peter talks about us living like sojourners and exiles on this earth. And as citizens, Paul talks about living as citizens of heaven right now, waiting for the time that one day we can live again like kings and queens on this earth. And today, even while we wait, the call and the invitation is for us to live like ambassadors and outposts of God's kingdom today so that when somebody encounters you, they have a little bit of an experience. They taste and see a little bit of what God's kingdom is like. And they go, wow, it's possible to live that way? It's possible to have that kind of hope? It's possible to operate out of that kind of security, maybe especially in suffering? Friends, we do not bring God's kingdom. We can't bring it to earth. We don't build God's kingdom. Those are not things we do. God does those things, not us. What we get to do is receive what God gives us. What we get to do is enter into whatever door God's open, God opens for us into his kingdom. And he has made it possible for us to live like citizens of that kingdom even now. Jesus, teach us to pray, our Father, holy is your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. That's as far as we've gotten in this prayer so far. In the last year of Cyprian's life, the Roman emperor Valerian demanded that Christian priests were put to death. Everyone was to offer sacrifices to the Roman gods and to give worship to the emperor. Cyprian would not do this. And he was made an example of. He was asked by a Roman proconsul to recant his faith in Jesus Christ. And when he said he wouldn't do this, he was told that he was going to be executed by sword. And he responded, thanks be to God. 
This was, well, it's two days from now, 1,765 years ago. He got up. He took off his clothes and walking over to the place just outside of where this council was, there's this open place. Um, He walked over, put a blindfold over his eyes, and then he knelt down to pray as a sword uh, came over his neck. Soon after him, eight of his disciples would be martyred as well. I don't know what he prayed. We have written accounts of that day. We have some of his writings. We have a record of the actual um, interrogation by the Roman proconsul. But we don't know what he prayed in this last moment. There are likely prayers that he probably prayed, which seem to be present on the lips of Christian martyrs throughout the history of the church. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. Maybe. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. That might be the second most common prayer to the Lord's prayer in the history of the church. I wonder if he prayed because he spent so much time in this and wrote a treatise on it. I wonder if he prayed, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In that moment, Cyprian was at the mercy of one of the many kingdoms of this world. And I wonder if he longed for the time when there would be no more sorrow and no more death, for peace on earth and goodwill to all people. People around the world still live under the threat of death from religious persecution. Thanks be to God that none of us in this room right now currently lives in exactly that context, but some do today. But we all still live on this side of the New Jerusalem. We all still live on this side of God's kingdom descending in radiant glory upon the earth. We, each one of us, still live on this side of death. His kingdom has come in His Son and is coming on now in His Spirit alive in the church. And it will one day come in glory, friends. And so we pray for it. We pray for it because of injustice. We pray for it because we pray for it on behalf of of the poor. We pray for it on behalf of those who mourn. We pray for it on behalf of everyone who wants to see God. We pray for it for ourselves. We pray for it for the world. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Father, may we settle for nothing less. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus.